wherever you are right now, if you're in your house, your living room, your kitchen, I want you to close your eyes. Close your eyes. Just play along with me for just a second. Close your eyes and imagine that you've got to get up without ever opening your eyes, get up off of your couch, out of your chair, go into your kitchen and fix a sandwich. You've got to find the bread. You've got to get out the mayonnaise. You've got to slice a tomato or some lettuce. You've got to do all of this without ever opening your eyes. Now you can open your eyes. But imagine the same scenario. You had to have your eyes closed. You have to get up off of your couch, out of your chair, go into the bedroom, and get dressed for the day. Because I know you're sitting there with pajamas on. It's not easy, is it? Or kids, kids, if you're sitting there listening, imagine that you have to get up out of your spot with your eyes closed. You can never open your eyes, and you have to draw your favorite animal on a sheet of paper. So you've got to go find paper and markers or crayons and draw that frog or that buffalo or that kitty or dog or that elephant, and you've got to draw it without ever opening your eyes. How would that go for you? We are very dependent upon sight for our daily lives and daily activities. We are used to being able to see. In fact, like anything that we do regularly, regularly, we probably take it for granted. But here's what sight is. Sight is access to the world. If you were physically blind, it would not make you any less of a human, but it would mean that you have limited access to the world around you. Sight becomes essential for most of our daily activities. If we couldn't see, we'd miss out on a whole world of possibilities around us and right in front of our faces. Today we're going to look at a text, a story in the Bible where Jesus encounters and heals a man who was born blind. He's never seen a day in his life. So I'm going to encourage you to go ahead and grab your Bibles at home and turn to John chapter 9. We're going to be looking at this text together. It'll be on the screen beside me, but I want to encourage you, if you have a Bible, to be following along at home. We're going to read about this man's story and imagine what it would look like for us to move past blindness in our lives and to see the possibilities that God has for us and for our world. So let's turn to John chapter 9 and look at verse 6. It says, After saying this, he, being Jesus, spit on the ground, and he made some mud with the saliva, and he put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This means scent. So the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. Let's pause right there. As a church, over the last few weeks, we've started looking at the book of John together, looking at stories of Jesus. And the first half of the book of John is primarily about signs. John writes about seven major signs. This is the sixth one we're looking at today. And the thing about a sign is, a sign points to something else. It points beyond itself. For example, if you were riding in your car 
And on your dashboard, a little sign flashed that said, you were low on gas. That little flashing light would not be the reason that in just a short while, your car will have no more energy to power itself. No, that sign on the dashboard is just a signal. It's just pointing to something bigger, to something deeper, to something else going on. So this story about a man who was born blind and was healed by Jesus is pointing us to something bigger. In our story today, this man serves as sort of a stand-in. He's a fill-in for all of humanity. And his healing points us to something big, that we're all blind and that we're all in need of healing. The question for me is, what if we're all walking around blind? What if we're blind to the possibilities of a life with Jesus and we don't even realize it? And I know for many of us in any normal time in history, this would be true. But it feels especially meaningful at this moment in a time like this where there is great potential for blindness to overtake the world right now. We can't see the future. It feels out of control. Just a week ago, many of us parents did not imagine that we would be homeschooling right now. Just a week ago, we may not have imagined that the stock market would be in free fall, sending our economy reeling. Just a week ago, we may not have imagined that we'd be struggling to, to pay the bills in the future and that our work prospects might look slim. Our companies might be in disarray. We feel blind to the future right now. And for many of us, I know that causes anxiety and fear and overreaction. And that's what we see, that, that the blindness in our life can cause us to be distracted and to miss out on Jesus. So today, I want you to see that Jesus calls us past the blindness to see new and different possibilities for our lives and for the world. But before we get there, we need to talk about what blinds us. In this story today about the man being healed, there's a bigger context in which we see four different versions of blindness. So we're going to look at this text and ask, what does blindness look like in this story? If you go back just a few verses before Jesus heals this man, we find the disciples asking a peculiar question. And that question reveals that Jesus' disciples were blinded by prejudice. So the first thing that blindness looks like is prejudice. The text starts in verse 1. And it says, As he went along, he being Jesus, saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Doesn't that sound like a ridiculous question to us? Uh, Jesus, is it possible that this man did something so sinful when he was in his mother's womb that God deemed it appropriate that he should be born blind? sounds ridiculous. Here's what I'd like to imagine is actually happening in that story. The disciples are walking along with Jesus, and they think, 
how can we prove to Jesus how theologically smart we are, how much we know about God? How can we impress Jesus with our question? But I want to assure you, Jesus was not impressed. But this question revealed a very common but incorrect theological assumption of their day. They believed that blindness and malformities and disabilities were given by God as a punishment for sins. The disciples' question was basically a biblical way of saying, look, they're experiencing something hard in their life. They probably deserve it, right? Which is also a backhanded way of saying, well, my life isn't going that bad, so I must be doing something right. It's a way of making ourselves feel better. The word prejudice just means to prejudge. And sometimes blindness means that we can't see the wonderful possibilities of God because we are so focused on making judgments about others. Can you identify with that? And there were others in the story. Others in the story whose blindness looked like doubting. There were what we'll call the locals, the neighbors, those who had been around this man their whole lives. So let's pick back up our text in verse 8. It says, His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was, but others said, no, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. This is bizarre. They have seen this man their entire lives. He's a grown man in a small town. Do you really think that going from being blind to being able to see made such a big physical difference that they could no longer recognize him? For instance... Do you see me with my eyes open? Do you see me with my eyes closed? Ta-da! It's a big difference, right? No. They would have seen the exact same thing. They look, he looked exactly the same. What is going on here? Is it possible that they were doubting that God could do something like this? That they were doubting that God could actually show up and heal? You and I can get so stuck in the ruts of life that we forget to expect God to show up and act. For some of us, our blindness might look like writing off God's ability to step in and do the miraculous in our lives to bring hope and healing. Sometimes our blindness looks like doubt. And there were others in the text, and their blindness looked like fear. Their blindness looked like fear. The parents of this man were drug into court in front of the Pharisees to testify that he was actually the same man. You see, there were these religious leaders, and they wanted to examine this man who had been healed because they wanted to trap Jesus. And they were confused By what had happened, and so they brought in the man's parents. Verse 18 says, They, being the Pharisees, still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. 
We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know that he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. And the text goes on to tell us that they said these things because they were afraid of the Pharisees. They were afraid that they would be exiled and excommunicated from their community if they sided with Jesus. But I just want to pause this for a second. These parents weren't responding out of joy that their son had been healed? What? If one of my kids had been miraculously healed, I would be just over the moon. I wouldn't care about anything. That's all that I would care about. But the parents in the story are blinded by fear. They lived in fear of the approval of others. Their lives were captive to what others thought of them. And just like these parents are missing out on the joy of their healed son because they are enslaved to the approval of others, we can miss out on the joy and the beauty of life with Jesus when we are so distracted by what others think of us. We can be blinded by focusing on what others think of us. And finally, there was a group in the text called the Pharisees, and they were blinded by their pursuit of success. Their blindness looked like success. The text picks back up in verse 24, and it says, A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. Verse 25, he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. I just want to pause there and say, if we could say nothing else for the rest of our lives, but I was blind, but now I see. What a beautiful testimony. But he continues and he he says, they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And the man answered, I've told you already and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? (laughs) If, If you're catching this, this is essentially biblical smack talk. Do you want to be his disciples too? The man asked him. And they hurled insults at him. And they said, you are this man's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. Which is essentially a way of saying, we're right, you're wrong. We follow Moses, we're right. And so they continue to argue for a little bit. And then the Pharisees overhear Jesus talking to the man about how some people still remained blind. And here's what he said. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this, and they asked, what, are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. These Jewish leaders were the most holy, most pious, most revered people in their society. And Jesus is saying they were blind. They were blind because what they cared most about was being the best 
They cared about looking perfect. They cared about keeping all the rules and for everyone to see them keep all of the rules. They were so hyper-focused on being better than everyone else. This past week, as we moved all of our worship services online, I found myself jealous of other churches and their live stream and video production. And I spent way too much time agonizing over, can we be better than them? Can we beat them? Can we do the best possible live stream service? I found myself having live stream envy. And then I realized, how foolish am I? How foolish. The point is not to have the best online worship service. The point is to be faithful to Jesus in this difficult season. I don't want to be so blind by the pursuit of looking good that I miss the everyday opportunities for faithfulness right in front of me. But some of us are so blinded by the pursuit of awards and being the best and getting all the praise and all the accolades that we cannot see God's possibilities for our lives. There are many ways that blindness is defined in this text. But I want to ask you, what blinds you? What distracts you? Where are you focused on the wrong things? And where are you focused on the wrong things at the expense of seeing what God might want to do in and through your life? I'm no expert on visual disorders. I know I don't have to really say that. You, you know that. I'm not an expert. But if I can reduce this down to the simplest possible explanation, blindness is a lack of light. Blindness is a general inability to see light, to take in light, to process light. And so to heal blindness would mean to heal your relationship with light. Right before Jesus heals the man in our text today, here's what he says about himself. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Friends, Jesus came to offer light to the blind. In his death and resurrection, the light of the world through Jesus invades the darkness and shows that the darkness will not overcome it. Jesus forgives our sins and heals all of our blindness. The hope in this story is that blindness is not your destiny. Blindness is not your normal. Blindness is not what you were meant for. Blindness is not your destiny. Those who have been healed by Jesus, who is the light of the world, are called to see new possibilities for our lives and for the world. I saw this slideshow this past week of places in our world that have been eerily abandoned because of the coronavirus. 
And pictures like this could make us pause in fear and ask questions like, is this the new normal? Is this what life is like now? What do you see here? I'm going to encourage you, don't see fear. Don't see hopelessness. Don't be distracted and blind. See the light. See people who need loving. See hope and see the possibilities that God might do in this time. This story in John 9 is bizarre. Jesus takes mud off the ground. He spits. He mixes it together. He applies it to a man's eyes. And he's healed of congenital blindness. He's healed miraculously. He can see. Jesus the healer takes ordinary mud and shines the light on extraordinary possibilities. Do you know why it's important that Jesus uses the mud in this story? In using the ordinary mud, Jesus shows that the very things of creation are a part of God's redemption plan. If Jesus can bring healing and restoration to one man through ordinary mud, what might he desire to do in and through your life? Light changes the way we see. Light changes how we see the world. Jesus shines a light on the possibilities for your life and for the church. There's a monastery on an island on the far western edge of Europe. It's been there since the dark ages. It's called Skelligs. You may recognize it because it is the very place where Luke Skywalker is in self-imposed exile during a film called The Last Jedi. But there's an actual monastery on this rocky, tiny island. And during the Dark Ages, this was the edge of the known world out in the sea. And for them, they believed that the sea represented darkness and chaos. So imagine with me these Christ followers going to the edge of the world to spend their lives on their knees battling against the darkness that they believed what they were doing was holding back the darkness from invading the world. Friends, what a beautiful vision of the church that we might during this time believe with everything that we have that our job, our role is to hold back the darkness, that the light would come and shine, that we would be people that believe that the light has come and that the darkness shall not overcome it, but that the light is victorious. May we be people who make space for the light in our lives, that we turn to the light together, that we invite people to see the possibilities for their lives. Because Jesus, who is the light, desires to heal them. Friends, let us choose the light. Let us live in the light. Let us be grateful for Jesus, who is the light of the world. And let us find ways to choose him every single day. Amen. Let's pray.
Holy and loving God, you offer us full lives, possibilities of beauty and joy and grace and mercy. If only we would let your light flood our hearts and our lives. So I pray for my friends at home that you would remind them on this day that the light has come and that the darkness shall not hold it back, but that we are called to walk in the light and to see your beautiful possibilities for our lives and for the world. We love you and we praise you. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, we pray. Amen.